I've had the privilege of hearing countless stories about how this book has changed people's lives. This is actually the book that we give out, the Bible that we give out at Bible League, written in other people's language. And I've seen people cry tears of joy when they've received this book. I've seen people come out in celebration to receive this book in villages, and they're dancing, jumping up and down. I've seen thousands of pastors gather to, to have this book in their own language, in their own translation. I've heard story after story of how this book has brought transformation to people's lives. People are willing to leave their families, they're leaving to leave their homes, their inheritances for what this book says. People die for this book. They go to their deaths refusing to deny what's in it, and they even quote it to their executioners as they're being put to death. Just recently, I ran into a guy from Pakistan that was beaten, bloodied. His back was all scarred up just for proclaiming the gospel and what's in this book. And this is the first book that was ever printed on the Gutenberg Press. It was the first book that was printed in mass and it's still the best-selling book today. So why is this book so special? Why do people respond the way they do to this book? It's because it's not just a book, right? It's the Word of God. And in church, we say those words kind of flippantly, the Word of God. We hear it over and over again. But this is God's breathed-out, inspired Word to man. This is God's Word to us. The Word of God, God-inspired, perfect communication from the God of the universe to man. And this is what we're going to look at this morning. Please open up your Bibles with me to Psalm 19. We're going to go through 7 to 10. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. Before we begin that, let's pray again. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts up, God, just like we, we got done declaring in our faith, Lord, Father. We need your Spirit to illuminate this to us. God, we ask that you'd open up our hearts and minds, Father, that you'd change us. Father, that you'd work through me this morning, that your spirit would move. And Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Psalm 19. God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So this is the word of the Lord. So this is how we're going to break this down. We're going to look at the perfection of God's word. We're going to go through the first parts of the verse and look at the perfection of God's word, and then we're going to loop around and see all the benefits that were just listed there, and then we're going to see Jesus as God's word. So the perfection of God's word, the benefits of God's word, and we're going to see Jesus as God's word. And so let's dive in to verse 7a and see the law is perfect, reviving the soul. So when we think of the law, we may think of the judicial system, we may think of policemen and lawyers you may think of a list of do's and don'ts, but the law is not that. What David is saying here is the law, the Torah in David's day, was the way of life. And these aren't just rules to live up to, but it's God trying to shape and craft our life so that the flow of our life reflects one that's God's children. 
And this is a, a really important concept because I grew up looking at this book as like a rule book, kind of like as a list of obligations. And that's kind of how it just came off to me is that I got to be in this book in order to, to live my life right. But this is more like a father talking to his children. And we can get legalistic about these things, but it's not designed for that. Warren Wearsby says, the Torah is instruction, direction, and teaching. In the Torah, the word means to shoot an arrow. So the law helps us shoot at the goals that God has assigned for us in our life accurately. And the Jewish people call the scrolls of law the Torah, but the word refers to all of God's revelation, all of God's revelation. From our context today, we would not just include the law that David knew, not just the Torah, but also the other 61 books of the Bible, uh, like the prophets that spoke accurately about a coming Messiah, wisdom literature like the Proverbs, poetry like the Psalms, the Gospels, the Epistles, and these books all align with each other. Do I got the screen up right now? No? We're working on it. The picture that you saw before the screen went off was all the cross-references in Scripture that say the same or similar things about each other. And so we see how much God's word aligns with each other. And the law that we're going to look at is like a diamond. And it encompasses all the other things that we're going to look at today. It encompasses the testimony of God. It accompanies the commandments. And so think of the law as a diamond, scripture as a diamond, and all these other colors shining through that we're going to look at today. And it's perfect. It's without error. It's from God himself. It's historically accurate. We heard John talk about Caesar Augustus last couple weeks, right? He was a real man that lived in real time. He's referred to in history. Jesus, literally the center of history. We have time that revolves around him, A.D. and B.C., right? It's historically accurate. It's archaeologically accurate. The claims that it makes about what happened where can be backed up by archaeologists. And not only that, its predictions are perfect. I always am amazed with Isaiah 53. If you're trying to witness to somebody or if you want to talk to somebody about Jesus, show them Isaiah 53 and tell them that it was written 600 years before Jesus came onto the scene. Right? It's mind-blowing. Isaiah 53 predicts that Jesus, the Messiah, the coming Messiah, he doesn't say Jesus by name, he says he's going to be despised and rejected by men, pierced for our transgressions, wounded and crushed so that we could be healed for our sins. That's what Jesus claimed. He died with the wicked and was buried among the rich. All right, what kind of accurate prophecy is that? He literally died between two sinners but was buried in the tomb of a rich man. And this was written 600 years before Jesus came on the scene, and archaeologists would say that same thing. So it's not just without error. It's all-encompassing. It's holistic. It's got everything needed to live life. And 2 Timothy 3 says that it brings wisdom that leads to salvation, that it empowers by its instruction, that it gives correction and strength and prepares us to do everything needed for every good work that God has prepared for us. So the law is perfect, supernatural, divine instruction. And within that come these other things. We have his testimony. Look with me, verse 7b. His testimony is sure, making wise the simple. Now the testimony is God telling of his acts, of what he's done, of who he is, of what he's like. And we all give testimony of ourselves, don't we? 
Like if you're into sports, you may have a story about how all the bases were loaded, right? It's the bottom of the ninth, and the game is tied, and you hit that ball, and it's a home run, and you win the game for everybody, right? That's a testimony of yourself. Or maybe you're going into a job interview, and you always put your best foot forward, right? You're not going to say, oh, you know, I'm kind of lazy, and I wake up a little bit late every once in a while. You're going to say things like, you know, I single-handedly brought in $10 million for this organization. You know, I led a team that revolutionized things for this company, right? Those are our testimonies of ourselves. The, the difference between God's testimony and our testimony is that God's testimony is sure. It's perfect. It's real. It's rooted in reality. And it's so accurate that somebody like Peter, a guy that spent probably the most time with Jesus on earth as anybody, said that the word is even more trustworthy than his own personal experience, right? Peter saw Jesus glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. He heard God's voice speaking down to him and saw Elijah and Moses hanging out with Jesus, this transfigured Jesus. He heard these things. He was 100% convinced that Jesus was who he said he was, and because of that, he was crucified upside down for what he believed, right? But Peter says that the written word is the testimony of God himself in 1 Peter 1, that even though the prophets and the writer of scriptures were human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God's law is perfect. His testimony is sure. And now I want to look at three things together, all right? We want to look at his precepts, the commandments, and rules. The precepts are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments are pure, and the rules are righteous. I want to go through these kind of quickly here, right? The precepts are rules or principles in which to live by. They're, they're truths rooted and grounded in reality. They're like lampposts in which to walk by. They're general rules like if you touch a fire, you're going to be burned, right? If you go onto thin ice, you're going to fall through. They're general rules to live by, and they're right, Scripture says. His precepts are right. Just like his testimony, God's precepts can be trusted. If you abide by them, you'll see that you're walking on a good path. You'll bear fruit in your life. When we follow God's precepts, we are choosing a right path that leads to salvation, to joy, to contentment, to joy and eternal life, rather than walking on a path that leads to destruction. All right, Pre commandments are similar to precepts. Commands are similar, but they're more direct. They aren't just good rules to live by, they're divine mandates. When you disobey, there's consequence. When you obey, there's reward. So when I say to my kids, stop hitting each other, Jack and Troy, or you're gonna go to your room, <laughs> right? I'm saying that as a commandment, right? And if you play nice together, you can watch TV for a little while. God's commandments are similar, but there's so much more because God is holier than us. So our offense to him is more disobedient when we disobey him, and the benefits are better when we obey him. And they're pure. God's commandments are pure. So if I say this to my kids, usually it's not because I want them to be more godly human beings. I'm not going... Oh, you know, you guys, I want you to walk more like Christ. It's because I'm annoyed. I'm sick of them bugging each other, right? God's commandments are pure. They're not just for his convenience. They're for our good and for his glory. So we have precepts, our right, his commandments are pure, and his rules. So we have his precepts. He gives us commands. 
Rules sounds like commands, don't they? They sound like the same thing. But what he's saying here is that his judgments are true. The decisions that he makes, the way he assesses situations are always true. So God's, God is perfect and consistent, and his rulings are true. So if you find yourself in court, all right, and you're standing before a judge, depending on what that judge ate that morning or whether that judge is having a good day or a bad day, you might have a different ruling. That's the, the problem with being human. God, consistent, perfect, true. He's always going to do what's right. He's always going to do what's true. All right, so we see the law, the testimony, the precepts, the commandments. And then here's a strange thing to include here is the fear. The fear of the Lord is clean. Why is this mixed in to what we're talking about with Scripture? The fear of the Lord is something different than what Scripture is, isn't it? Does it mean we need to be scared of God? Like an abusive father, right? No. The word fear here isn't the fear like the way we think of it. It's not like crippling anxiety. Fear doesn't mean worry. It means worship. It's not worry, it's worship. It's reverence, it's awe. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? We can't approach Scripture without the fear of the Lord. If we come to Scripture thinking that we know it all, not really caring, like what I used to do was just kind of look at it to try to disprove what it said, right? I'm not going to get anything from that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need the fear of the Lord because we need to be humbled. We need to see how big God is, how small we are. And this is a response to the perfection of God's word. It's about taking him seriously. The second reason fear is listed here is because scripture not only produces worship in our heart, it also shows us how to worship, right? That's why we memorize the Psalms. That's why we look to the word when we, we have nothing else and we, we go to those things. It shows us how to worship, and it's clean because it's innocent. It's like a child trusting his father. It's like a child taking his dad's hand and walking alongside him. It's clean. It's beautiful. It's free of any arrogance. It's free of any pride. And this pure fear and adoration will be the same worship that we carry into heaven with us. So you see why the perfection of God's word is important. That's the first section, right? We just went through a lot of material just now. It's important to know that the word is perfect because we can trust it. We can rely on it. This new year, when you're struggling with anxiety, when you got depression, when you're struggling with the issues in your life, you know that above anybody else's opinion that can be wrong, that the word is trustworthy and true and right and perfect. It's not going to steer us wrong. It will keep us on the right path because it is right. And it has come forth from the perfection of God. All right, so we're going to look back. We're going to loop back now and, and look at the benefits. What do the benefits of the, the word look like? I'm going to move that because that's annoying to me. All right, the benefits of God's word. The benefits, the law, the revives the soul. The law revives the soul. So what is your soul? The soul is who you really are. It's what makes you human. It's what makes you different than animals, right? It's your most inner being, the soul. It's what is eternal, even more than your desires, your whims. Your soul is what lasts forever. And we say, like if we see a serial killer or like a rapist or something like that, we say, man, that person doesn't seem to have a soul, right? It means that they're no better than a human or, or an animal. They're no better than a predator, right? 
The soul is what makes us who we are. And most importantly, Scripture carries the gospel, which is the power of God to save. So the word brings salvation to our souls. But if you're Christian, you already know that, right? What else, what else does the soul do? Or what else does God do through his word to revive the soul? Sometimes we're just on autopilot, right? Moms, maybe you're just taking the kids from here to there. You're just kind of doing the same thing day after day. You grow weary in it. Students, you got school coming up this week. It kind of stinks. At least it used to stink for me. Sometimes we get tired of the same old, same old, and we just keep on going, and we're just kind of cruising through life. We're tired. But God says that Scripture revives the soul. He's saying that it brings life to us, that when we turn to it, we can be revived. Scripture doesn't just exist to you to be a moral compass, right? Its aim is purer than that. It literally brings life and purpose to your being. We often try to change our behavior, right? It's the new year. We, we invest a lot of money in weight loss drugs and trying to get these things under control. We just try to treat symptoms a lot of the times, right? We, we're not getting at the soul. God isn't just looking to slap up some new paint in your life. He's looking to knock you down to the studs. He's looking to knock you down to the foundation and rebuild you, right? That's what scripture does in our life. It transforms us. That's the real meaning of the word is revitalization, reviving, transformation. And God knows that it's not just behavior that needs to be changed, but that complete transformation needs to happen. And as your soul is revived, you start to become wise. That's the second thing it does. It makes simple people wise. So I kind of alluded to it earlier. I used to be agnostic in my beliefs, right? I believed that God existed, but he really couldn't be understood. That general revelation existed, that God revealed himself through creation, but that special revelation was just silly. I used to believe that. It was agnostic. I, I learned recently that... Um, the word for agnostic in Latin is actually ignoramus. So I was actually an ignoramus. Right? I never believed that scripture was what it said it was, so I never used it as my guide. And if scripture is not your guide, then what is? I was my guide, right? And because I was my guide, I would always put myself first, right? And in doing that, <laughs> I hurt other people. I try to control other people. I try to control situations. And when things don't go my way, I feel sorry for myself, right? That's what happens when we, when we make ourselves our guide. We feel bad. We, we, we try to do different things. And then when things don't go our way, we just run to the same bad solutions over and over again, right? We, we run to alcohol, right? We run to food. We run to porn. We look at everything else. We try to find security in a relationship, thinking that that's going to bring us happiness, but that's when we are running ourselves, right? We not, we're not looking to Scripture for what it says. We're doing what we want to do. Brad talked about Ezra setting his heart on Scripture. And because of that, we have wisdom, right? That's what he said last week with Ezra. He was wise. The word for wise in Hebrew is shikam, which means skilled for living. And as you age, you're supposed to mature, Right? I meet a lot of people that have aged but have never matured. Right? It sounds like we're hanging out at the bar in our early 20s, and they're talking about the same old, same old, talking about the same boring stuff, talking about doing stupid things. 
And it sounds like we never left the bar. And now we're in the mid-30s, so it's getting a little bit pathetic, right? Scripture matures you. It brings wisdom. It brings life. And when we set our hearts and minds to God's word, he matures us. He grows us. He helps us to help others. We become wise in order to help others as well. So his word revives our soul, makes us wise. What's next? It rejoices the heart. Following God's ways brings joy to the heart, right? His word brings joy. What do you think typically brings you joy? Money, new houses, new cars. Those things last for a minute. They bring happiness. It's a, it's a thrill for a, a minute, but those things usually fade. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever, right? You want everlasting joy? Find out who he is. Look at his love. Look in Revelation how he describes himself seated on a sea of glass with rainbows <laughs> radiating from his throne, right? This is your father, the one that controls all things, right? That's where we should find our joy and realize your sonship and that your identity is rooted in him rather than what people think of you. Find your joy in his promises to you. Find your joy in obedience to his word. The best way to get out of yourself is to go and serve others. The best way to get out of your own stinking thinking is to go and help somebody else. Obedience to his word. Find your joy in forgiveness. A lot of us are walking around here bitter about what happened to us this last week. Oh, this person said this to me. This person did this. When you look at the word, you see the forgiveness that you've been given. And you can forgive others. You can let go of that bitterness. You can let go of those resentments, right? As you study, you'll start to see God more clearly. And the more you see what he's like, the more you trust him, the more you want to follow him. He revives our soul. He makes you wise. He brings you joy. What's next? You want to know what most people are like? They're walking around like this. waiting to be told what to do, right? They're walking around, listening for somebody to guide them along, listening to somebody confidently tell them, hey, you know what? Don't worry about doing the right thing. Your truth is your truth. You know, don't worry about, about uh, what's right and wrong. Worry about what's best for you. You deserve everything. You know, young men today are hearing, porn is okay. Everybody looks at it. How are you not supposed to look at it, Right? Young people, sex before marriage is okay. How do you avoid something like that? You can't do that. Even Christians, right? Christians tell you, hey, it's not a big deal. Don't, don't worry about giving your money. Save up for retirement. You know, your retirement's the most important thing, right? They're saying, hey, you can be a Christian. Just don't be a weird Christian. Don't share your faith, right? And we're hearing this over and over again. There's no hell. And, we, and we're listening, we're listening to the person that sounds the most confident rather than listening to what Scripture says. And we need to trust in what Scripture says because if we're following another blind person that sounds confidently, what does Jesus say? We're both going to fall into the pit, right? That is why Scripture has to be the authority in our life. It's not the media that enlightens our eyes, right? It's not our boyfriend and girlfriend that's going to enlighten our eyes. The word is what brings light, right? The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
I bought that stick just for this illustration, by the way, so I hope you guys enjoyed that. <laughs> when we know and see Scripture, we trust His Word. We have the mind of Christ. We see reality more clearly. Really, I mean, we can see the origins of suffering in the world. We can see sin. We can see how things got the way they were. We can see that we need a Savior. We can see what the future is coming, what future is coming, the, the, what, what's going to happen. And we can see that we're going to be with him forever, that we last forever, that this life isn't just here and gone and we just go to our graves. It lasts forever. And that's the next point. The word endures forever. You know, one of my biggest New Year's resolutions, uh, I think it was two years ago, was that I would use my time more wisely. I don't like to waste time. You know, I sit and look at my Facebook and I'm scrolling and the next thing you know, an, an hour goes by. And so I was praying, like, God, help me to use my time more efficiently. Any more than answered that for me? A little more than I, than I needed, but uh, that's all right. A lot of the stuff that we do on this earth won't last, right? Facebook is obvious, Instagram, Snapchat, all those things, just time spent. Those, those don't last, but other things too. A lot of the stuff that we're doing, the house that we're renovating, it's not going to last. The coin collection you got, it's not going to last. The collection of Jordans you got in the closet, it's not going to last. The collection of purses are not going to last. And there's nothing wrong with those things. You know, I collect a lot of those things. Lauren says if she trips over another purse of mine that she's going to be really upset. Right? Those things are, are fine, but they're not going to last, right? You know what lasts is relationship with God, studying his word, worshiping him. The words that you memorize here are going to be the words that you're singing in heaven, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The word is eternal. It lasts forever. You get a glimpse of heaven through these words. You can join the angels that are singing in heaven now when you come and read scripture. And there's one more thing listed here. It says his rules are righteous altogether. So God produces righteousness for those who live it. When we read the word, when we follow the word, people will start to see your life change. People will start to see that you are walking a little more upright, that you have a little more confidence, that you are a trusted source to come to and ask for advice, right? It produces righteousness. And God is perfect, and so his word naturally will help perfect us. But here's the issue. God is perfect. We may continually grow and mature, but we'll never be perfect enough to stand before his throne. And we need to be perfectly righteous. This is what scripture is saying. So what do we do about this? What's the most important thing that this book helps you to do? This book helps you to connect to Jesus. This book brings you into relationship with the one that is righteous altogether, the one that restores the soul, the one that makes simple the wise, the one that rejoices the heart, the one that enlightens the eyes and endures forever, the person of Jesus. And he doesn't just give these benefits, he completes all these benefits. Jesus fulfills each one of these benefits in ways we can't because Jesus is God's word. Jesus is God's word made human, made flesh. John 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John 1 verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The full power of 
the full power of God, the goodness of God, the wisdom of God, everything that you can comprehend as a human being about God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. What better way to communicate to man than something that he can see and understand? This is Jesus. And Jesus revives our soul. Not only did he literally raise people from the dead and bring salvation, but to you, Christian, who is saved already, he says, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus makes people wise because he is wisdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, and Christ has become for us wisdom from God. He's become wisdom from God. He's the reason we are right with God and pure enough to be in his presence. Jesus rejoices the heart. John 15 verse 11. Pay attention. Pay attention to this. He says that when we abide in him, he rejoices our hearts. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's not an obligation. Scripture is not an obligation. He wants to rejoice your heart. He wants to come into a loving relationship with you. And when you abide in him, when you follow him, he will rejoice your heart. Jesus enlightens our eyes. In John 8, verse 12, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These are some bold claims, right? In a world that's, in a world that's just filled with, you know, mental health issues and anxiety and depression. We hear about it all the time. Jesus is saying, and he's claiming these things to us. This word is given to us. It's God's special revelation to us. He wants to do all these things in our life. He endures forever. In Revelation 1 verse 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And he's altogether righteous. Romans 3, verse 22 says, The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So Jesus is more desired to be gold, even a ton of gold. He's sweeter than the sweetest thing that you've ever eaten, right? He is the best. He's all these things. And David makes these claims about Scripture, and David only had five books, right? And he had the the more boring books, if I can say that. They're not boring, but they're hard to read, like Leviticus, right? Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's saying that about those books, right? We have the full revelation of God right here. And we have, more importantly than that, the person of Jesus Christ. Do you see how important this is? Do you see how good God is and how badly he wants to be in relationship with you? You know, I'm sure you've heard a lot of these things before if you've been coming to church for a while. Brad talked about the importance in studying Scripture last week. And the reason I'm hitting on it again is because this really needs to be a, a priority for us as a church family. We really need to be in the Word of God. If we are going to, to live this life the way God wants us to live it, and if we want to be a blessing to others, we need to be in this Word. And I want you to realize something you know, I'm not paid staff. I'm not an ordained pastor. I don't have to be up here right now speaking to you about this. But God has worked so much in my life. And I've seen his word. I've seen his promises come to pass. I've seen how he takes care of me every time I worry that I'm going to end up 
being lost, being forgotten, being, being messed up. He comes, right? The word is true, and he is good. Jesus changed my life. So I named the sermon Mentor Savior because we know Jesus as Savior, maybe, and if you don't, please talk to me, please talk to somebody about it and give your life to Christ. But we don't often see Jesus as a mentor like we see other humans as mentors, right? Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist, was always hungry for knowledge, but he was never satisfied, right? One day, he goes, I'll try something different. I'll devote one hour to reading scripture each day. And it wasn't with an attitude of like, I got to do this. This is a resolution. I got to spend one, one hour in, in, in the word. He came to it with an attitude that if Jesus was the word of God, that he was being mentored by Jesus each day. And he was actually sitting with his mentor, right? And it changed his life. He saw that time was, with Jesus was precious, and he acted on what Jesus, his mentor, he acted on his words. He acted on what he said, and he grew. He discovered who God was, who he was, and how to live his life and how to be the hands and feet of Christ to the people around him. He found purpose and meaning in a, joy, in a time where joy wasn't too easily found. It's amazing what God can do, and it's a new year. So before you run out and make something else a priority this year, make Jesus your mentor. Put him first and watch what he does. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Father, thank you for your goodness. And God, we ask, Lord, we know that we don't have it within us to see these things, but Lord, we... You say that you give out your spirit to those that ask for it. And so, God, we, we're asking for your spirit. We're asking that you would help us this year, Father. Help us to find a plan. Help us to get into a routine of sitting with you, not just reading words on a page, but sitting and learning and understanding and following you, Lord, this year. Help that to be the priority of 2022, God. And more importantly, even for our, than ourselves, but to be a blessing to other people, Lord. So God, we thank you for this time, God, and we just ask that you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.